This message is brought to you by ABC Church in Ammonford, West Wales. For more information, please visit our website at www.abclife.org. Do you know Easter is something that we think of now as gone? But really, we should live in Easter every day, shouldn't we? We should live in the cross and the resurrection every day. And so what I want to talk about this morning is something, is a word that we really mention a lot if you're in church, and that's agape. Yeah? We all know the word. We said, all of you got to have agape love. And for the most part, I don't think I have any understanding what they're talking about. Really, you have to understand what agape is. Because agape has got nothing to do with your feelings. Nothing. I have been married for 50 years this September. I deserve a medal, let me tell you. But let me tell you, the love, that emotional love, isn't what keeps you in a marriage. Because I do, my little heart doesn't do a flutter when Roger comes in and says, what's for food? We all know that type of feeling, don't we? It is not that type of love. Agape love isn't brotherly love. Friendship love any of those other things. It is a a particular type of love. Agape love is the will to love. It's the commitment to love. It takes not, it doesn't take root in your emotions. It takes root in your will. And it is the love that God has for man and that man has for God. And these are some of the words used for it. It is, that's the wrong one, goodwill, benevolence, willful delight in the loved one, a high moral nature, a strong character, not romantic, sexual, or friendship, or brotherly love. It is faithfulness, commitment, and out of the will. It is a committed, faithful will to love. So when you don't want to love... When you don't want to feel love for anybody, when they have really messed you up, messed you about, when God is not coming through for you, when you are doubting, when you are disappointed, when you are despairing, agape love is a love that says, I will love God and I will love man. Got it? And it's very different. It's very different because your feelings will tell you, I don't love. I don't even like. But Agape will say, but nevertheless, I will. And that's how God loves us. That's how God loves us. And I want to go to two verses, first of all, to set this love up for you. So one is Revelation 5, verse 2. And this is heaven. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, 
the root of David has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and his seven seals. That, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, is Jesus standing in heaven. And the, the scroll was a legal document written on both sides with seven seals on it. And what he meant was, it, it came, Jeremiah says him when he was buying a field, it is a legal document, this scroll, and it's there to buy back all of creation. And there was no one in heaven who was worthy to open the scroll, to buy back creation, save Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Not even in heaven was there anyone who was worthy to open the scroll. Now go to Isaiah 59. Truth is nowhere to be found, and whoever shuns evil will become a prey. The Lord looked and was displeased that there was no justice. He saw that there was no one. He was appalled that there was no one to intervene. So his own arm, Jesus, worked salvation for him, and his own righteousness sustained him. So in heaven there's no one, and on earth there's no one to intervene. And God looks at time. He's outside of time, so we don't understand this. Well, I don't, and you may. You may very well understand it, but I don't. But God doesn't live in time. We are time-based people, aren't we? We're limited. But God looks at everything that's happening all at once, because he's outside of time. So wandering through all the earth, from the aeons of time, from beginning to end, there has been no one, no one, who can do for man what Christ could do. Only Christ can redeem mankind. And he did it out of an act of the will. Gethsemane, when Jesus was going to the cross, I don't think he had any fluffy emotions about us. He was sweating blood. On his knees begging God, take it away. Can't you find another way? They could have found another way. Right at the beginning of time, they could have found another way. They could have, not so that Jesus wouldn't have to suffer, and Jesus wouldn't have to go through pain. But his will determined, yet not my will, but yours be done. And he went to the cross for us. Agape love is the will to love. And a commitment to people that says, I will love you no matter what. That's agape love. And that's great. Now, what does it look like in real life? <laughs> you know, I love the way Paul preaches. Paul gives you all the theology in his books, doesn't he? Then he says, now, in view of all that, how are we to live now then? How does this now relate to me? And that's what I want to do. And I'm going to look at David. And I'm going to look at three little parts of David's life, three little vignettes from his um, life to um, sum up what in a man... Love of God and love of man looks like. So, 2 Samuel 9, first of all. Now, in this, this is called Mephibosheth. But I'm from Llanelli, and I might very well be calling him Mephibosheth, which is where we see. So, I don't know. So, if you're posh, you'll say Mephibosheth. If you're from Llanelli, let me, you'll probably end up saying Mephibosheth, which I'll go into, right? Probably. But... Here we are. David asked, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can do show kindness? 
for Jonathan's sake. Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They called him to be a for David, and are you Ziba yet? Go on, Lee. We don't want that part. The king said, is there anyone of Saul's house? And Ziba answered, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in both feet. Where is he? He is at the house of Machis, son of Amiel in Lodeba. So King David had him brought from Lodeba, from the house of Machis, son of Ami. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honour, and David said, Mephibosheth, your servant, he replied, don't be afraid. I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Stop it there, Lee. Mephibosheth was Jonathan's son. Jonathan, if you need to know about friendship, it's always like the friendship of David and Jonathan. But he was the grandson of Saul, who was one of David's greatest enemies. And yet David said, is there anyone of the house of Saul that I can do a kindness to? Now Mephibosheth was crippled. He'd been dropped as a baby, and so he was lame in both feet. He obviously had his bones broken. We, before God, are just like Mephibosheth. We are crippled and we are lame. We can do nothing to save ourselves. And God says, come and eat at my table, to me. Don't you think he's moving? Even in the presence of your enemies, he's going to lay you a table. He lays in the presence of my enemies. When Satan is doing you down, when things are not going right, as I said, when you're doubting, despairing, depressed, when you think everybody in the world is against you, when things are not coming through for you, when people are against you, and when the devil is fighting everything you try to do, you know that God lays a table for you in the presence of your enemies. He says, he leads me to the banquet table, Song of Solomon says, and his banner over me is love. God leads you to a place where you can feast on him. You see, we don't bring people to church only. I don't want you people to come to church just to come to church and get involved in the social activities and get into friendships. You are coming to church so that you can feast on Jesus, so that you can know him, that you can taste and see that the Lord is good. That's what it's about. Coming to church is only the way to get you to Christ. Other than that, church is just social activities. You know, you can go anywhere. Carol joins a golf club to have social activities. I'm sure you don't come to church for the same reasons. I hope not. But church is to lead us into the presence of Jesus, who lays a table for us so that we can eat of his goodness and see who he is. That's what church is about. And so we lay this table. He lays this table for us. And so we lay a table for others. One of the best sermons I've ever heard, Charlotte Campbell. Are you building a tower or are you laying a table? And the girls who were in Cherish will remember that sermon. It was amazing. See, we can build towers. You can build a tower of worship. You can have everybody here saying how fantastic the worship team is. You can build a tower of preaching. How fantastic the preaching team is. You can have a tower of all our social activities. They do wonderful work. They do all of that. It's fabulous. 
and all you're doing is building a tower. But are you laying a table for, for I'm going to say, nearly said Mephibosheth, for him? Are you laying a table for him? Are we laying a table so that everybody who's crippled can come here? Anybody who can't do anything good for us, who can't help build our towers? Are we laying a table for those people who can't build our towers? For those people who are, um, have nothing that they can give? For the poor and the neglected and the lonely? Because we lay a table so that men can come in and see how good God is. Do you think that's what church is all about? Because you're very quiet. Hmm? Because we're in, really, lots of churches just build towers. They just build towers to show how great they are, to show how big they are, to show the number of people they've got, to show off their giftings. I'm not interested in that anymore. But I'm interested in laying the table so that I can show you how good God is. And now you can come and feast. Feast at this table. Eat of him. Taste him. See how good he is. Get to know Jesus. Because church is fabulous. I love, don't you hear what I'm not saying? I love church. I've been in church all my life for 71 years. I love church. But if church isn't taking you to Christ, it is of no use. It is just a social activity we get up to every week. But knowing Jesus is what church is all about. And so Mephibosheth is incredibly important because it shows who we are before God. Right? Because we need everything God has given us because we can't do it ourselves. And then we show that to other people. Because everybody is welcome at the table. Jesus says, all. I love his words. Don't you just love his words? All. Anyone. Everybody. Come. Come. And we go, if you can build my tower sometimes. No. We don't want that. You just come. If you're here, you come. And you feast on Jesus. And your life gets changed. And Mephibosheth said, all his life at the king's table. David gave him back the land that Saul, that of Saul, because everything had become David's. You need to know the background. Saul was a sworn enemy of David. He had been king, but he sinned, and God gave the blessing to David. David was anointed. Nineteen years he chased David for trying to kill him. Nineteen years. And when David became king of the, 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 of the, the United Kingdom, what does he say? Is there anyone of Saul's house I can do a kindness to? That's grace. That's grace there. You know, can I do a kindness to my enemies today? Is there anybody out there who's done me wrong that I can actually do a kindness to their family? Is there anyone who's hurt me that I can do a kindness to? Loving kindness is a portion of Christ himself. And David shows it in Mephibosheth. I think it's a fabulous story. You read it. If you want to go home and read it, it's 2 Samuel 9. And I prefer sometimes the little stories in Scripture than the great big ones. I'm not going to touch on David and Goliath. Everybody knows David and Goliath. Been done to death. Look at the little things that he did. Next thing. The threshing floor. is an interesting one, isn't it? 2 Samuel 24, 24. It says this. But the king replied to Aruna, No, 
I insist on paying for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen and paid 50 shekels of silver for them. David had sinned. I think he'd taken a census. And so a plague had come on Jerusalem, on the people. And God had gone to him and said, go and buy the threshing floor from Aruna. Build an altar there and sacrifice to me there. So David had gone to the threshing floor and told the man, you know, I'll buy it. And he had said, no, no, my king, I will give it to you. And you can have all the animals you want to sacrifice. I'll give them to you, my king. And David had replied, no. I won't sacrifice to the Lord anything that hasn't cost me anything. The cross cost Jesus everything. We used to sing a song years ago, most of you remember. You laid aside your majesty, gave up everything for me, suffered at the hands of those who had created. The cross cost Christ everything. And so, what does it cost me to follow him? Now, you have to be careful when you preach this because it's not about law. It's not about law in that way that you have to do it. But Malachi 3 says this. Bring all the tithes into the temple so there may be food in my house. And see if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour you out such a blessing that you will not be able to contain it. God expects us to bring in all the tithes. Right? And tithes are your money, time, and effort. Unfortunately, I think sometimes we give what we can. Not, not, not what we can, what is easy for us. What's easy? If I've got plenty of money, giving money doesn't cost me anything. If I've got little money, putting a little bit in is a lot, isn't it? If I've got plenty of time, like me, then cost me anything, does it? But if I'm time poor, like Martin, what I put in costs me a lot. Have you got me? If I'm not feeling very well, or if I'm tired, right? Making the effort to do costs a lot, rather than if you're healthy and blooming with health. And yet, it's the costly thing sometimes. Paul Scanlon said something that I think was fantastic. He said, people tell me I'm tired. And it, it drove, many of you know Paul Scanlon, but he says it as it is, you know. It'll never get done if you don't do it tired. Can you hear what I'm saying? Sometimes our excuses for not doing don't match up. Because what I've discovered is people always do what they want to do. People always end up doing what they want to do. We'll fill the place with the social, won't we? But it takes effort to do some of the things. Gifting doesn't cost much, to be honest. Getting up here and talking because I've got a mouth, you know, doesn't cost, doesn't cost an awful lot, right? But coming every Saturday morning to clean the kitchen, clean the kitchen, clean the toilets, costs a lot more. Are you, are you hearing what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, there is a cost involved in our following of him. And we are told to bring all the tithes in. So I'm going to ask you, first, you give first to God. God demands some, some of your money, some of your time, 
and some of your effort. So if we're not doing any of that, then we're not behaving like David or Christ. So we give a proportion of what we have to God. We do it regularly and we do it generously. So we have to bring a sacrifice of praise. Yeah? Praise God when it's tough to praise him. Easy to praise him when things are going right. So the threshing floor for me shows this amazing generosity of David. See, David got God. I think this is what we don't get. He understood God. He knew what God wanted. And this man was, an, was a fallible man who got it wrong on so many occasions. But he knew God. And he knew exactly somehow what God was saying. And here he knows God has said, go and buy that. So he buys it. He doesn't take it. He knows he has to put some effort into it. He understands who God is. And I think when we understand who Jesus is, that's when things fall into place for us. This is why we taste and see that God is good. Because once you get to know him, it is so much easier to do what he wants us to do. Are you getting me? Yeah. It is, it's, it's the most important thing I can tell you today. Get to know Jesus. Get to know him. Because agape love won't throw from us if we don't understand how he loves us. He, we love him because he first loved us. And that love has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit so that I can now pass it on to others. So if I'm withholding my time, my money, and my effort, I am not loving in agape because it is the will to do these things that matter, not the feeling. All right? So I will go and do it today. I will go and clean. I will go into the kitchen. I will do communion. I will give my money. I will get up and get the, 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 the food for a Sunday morning. I will do those things. Why? Because he loved me and I love him. Agape. I will do it. I'm committed to him. I will commit myself to him. It doesn't matter if things go wrong in my life. I am committed to Christ and I am not shifting. I am committed and I will do it. Isn't it? Yes. That's how it goes. And so we have this thing. First there's Mephibosheth where he feeds his enemy's family. Unbelievable. For life. And restores them. Isn't that what Jesus does to us? That's exactly what Jesus does to us. He feeds us for life takes us into heaven with them, you know, buys us back and then gives and gives and gives to us all of our lives. He gives to us sacrificially. He gave to us everything that we needed. Agape love of Christ. The last thing is 1 Chronicles 9. But who am I? And who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you. And we have given you only what comes from your hand. What a verse. What a verse. You see, you can't give God anything he hasn't given you. You only have your next breath because God has given it to you. 
you only have tomorrow because God's given it to you. You only have a job because God has given it to you. You only have a home, a place of work. Whatever you've got, you've got because God has given it to you. So he says, you know what I've given you? I want a portion of it back. And we say, oh, well, I can't really afford it. can't really afford it. But that's what happens. And David understands. I've got every, and David was the king. He had everything he wanted. But he says, it's all come from you. And this is to do with building the temple. Because you see, the threshing floor that David bought was the site of the temple that's going to get built. See, God knows what he's doing. And the story behind this is, David had always wanted to build the temple. And he was planning on building the temple. And it was his heart's desire. You'll read this in the previous chapters. Yeah. And the priest goes up to him and the prophet and says, do whatever is in your heart to do for God. You do whatever is in your heart to do. And isn't that what we like to hear? Don't we love to hear? You do what's in your heart. Heart, heart, heart. We talk an awful lot about what we think and what we feel and what our hearts are telling us. I'm sure God is telling me, my heart is telling me. But in the night, God comes to David and says, no, you don't. I never told you build the temple. You are not to build the temple for me. You are a man of blood, he tells him. Whether it because he'd been a soldier or whether because he'd, had, he'd murdered, we don't, I don't know. But he says, you're not to build that temple. Solomon will build the temple. So what does David do? Does he go into a pity party? No. What David does is he gathers everything he possibly can for Solomon to build the temple. I think that's amazing. When somebody else gets what you want, how do, you, how do I respond when I see somebody else getting what I really want, what I've prayed for, what I've longed for, what I've begged for, and I see God give it to somebody else. Do I thank God for them and support them, or do I pout? I don't know. Sometimes I do both, I suppose. Being me, being human, I do a bit of both. But David understands that God, you see, he knows God's voice. And he understands this wasn't for him. And so David gives freely to Solomon to build the temple. Freely you've received. Freely give. God has given us everything. Don't withhold. That's what I want to say in this. Don't withhold. God never withholds. He never stopped speaking to the people. No matter what they did, God continued speaking to them. Through the prophets, through, through all of the ages, God has never not spoken to his people. Don't not speak to people. Don't withhold what you can give. You know, we have a tendency to withhold. I won't do it then. In that case, I won't do it. You know, I'll remove. I'll withdraw. Don't do that, because God never withdraws from you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He won't withdraw himself in that way that says, I'll shun you. 
I won't have anything to do with you. God doesn't behave like that. Christ doesn't behave like that. He's constantly speaking to us, constantly drawing us into relationship with himself. So don't withhold. Don't withhold what you can give today in gifting, in time, in effort from other people. Don't withhold it because all things are given from God and we are stewards of them. I'm a steward of my time, a steward of my money, a steward of my effort. I have to take care of it, isn't it? So that I have enough to give to other people. Don't withhold what you can give. Don't withhold your friendship from people simply because you're cross with them. Don't withhold speaking to people because you've fallen out. Don't withhold giving to people because you think they don't deserve it. Don't withhold. God doesn't withhold. All things, all things that you've got come from God. And God expects us to be liberal and to give as freely as he has given us with our love, with our patience, with our kindness, with our grace, with all those things that he is, is what he expects us to be. Do you know, as I said, the church is meant to be somewhere where people come and find Christ. I pray that's what they find. My prayer, not for this church alone, but the whole church everywhere, is that when people walk in through the doors, they find Jesus. They don't just find a society that meets together and get on well. They meet a society that when they fall out, still get on well. That's the key to church, is that when you fall out, you will still do what David does. You will still not withhold. You will still be what you're meant to be. That falling out will make any difference to us. We will stay as one because Christ makes us one together. That's for the whole church, everywhere. That's what shows Christ to the world. That's what the world sees. That when you fall out, wow, you can put it together again through love, through agape love, the commitment to love and the will to love. That's what God calls us to. And I want to finish with 1 John 4, which I love. I love. It's got to be my favorite portion of scripture. And I've got hundreds of them, let me tell you. But this one. You see, it's all underlined everywhere. 1 John 4. We love... I'm going to read it from the message because I prefer it in the message. It's not the message up there, but I'm going to read it. God is love. When we take a permanent residence in a life of love, we live in God and God lives in us. This way, love has the run of the house, becomes at home and mature in us so that we're free of worry and judgment, eh? Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Yeah. So, and our standing in the world is identical with Christ. When you live in love, your standing in the world is identical with Christ. There is no room in love for fear. Well-formed love banishes fear. Since fear is crippling, 
Some of us are crippled, like Mephibosheth, through fear. A fear for life, fear of death, fear of judgment, is we're not yet fully formed in love. We, though, are going to love. Can I say that for this church? We, though, are going to love. Love and be loved. First, we were loved. Now, we love. He loved us first. If anyone boasts, I love God, and goes on right on hating his brother or sister, thinking nothing of it, he is a liar. If we won't love the person he can see, how can he love the God he can't see? The command we have from Christ is blunt. Loving God includes loving people. You've got to love both. And you'll need agape love to do it. It'll take commitment and it'll take a will to love in this way. And that's my prayer for the church, that we will be a church of agape love, where feelings will not come in and spoil us, but that love will have the rule in this house, for Jesus' sake. Amen. This message was brought to you by ABC Church. For more information, please visit our website at www.abclife.org or search for us on Facebook or Twitter. You can also contact us by phone on 01269 596000.